Hi everyone. My next interview is with Dubai-based personal stylist, author and entrepreneur Kelly Lumberg. Now, Kelly is the stylist to the Saudi royal family and she essentially established the personal styling industry in Dubai. She's actually an award-winning styling business owner, an award-winning author, she's a public speaker, she trains staff from some of the world's most exclusive designer brands like Chanel and Louis Vuitton on styling. She hosts incredible events. She's an exceptional businesswoman. Now, Kelly recently sold her personal styling business to concentrate on her virtual membership and mentoring program for stylists. So it's really, really exciting. She's been able to share a lot of her business building tips with us today. At the end, she's going to give us three brand building hacks for stylists. Kelly focuses a lot on building your brand to build credibility. So these three tips are easy, digestible, um, Uh, approachable ways that you can, without any experience, start building your brand as a personal stylist. Kelly. Hi, Asita. Can you hear me? I can. I can. (laughs) Okay, cool. We finally connected. I know. Oh my God, it's so exciting. So you're in Dubai at the moment, aren't you? Yes. Okay, okay. So start me off. Your career Um, to date. So in 2005, I launched the Middle East's first personal shopping and styling agency. So I was living here. I used to be cabin crew, but I had always loved working in retail and also loved helping people. So I sort of married both of them um, together and um, decided to go solo and launch my own business. So that was back then. And I'm very excited. You're the, the first person I've sort of shared this with in a public, profile, uh, public oh. platform. But I actually sold my styling agency this month. So it's kind of come full circle oh congratulations it was always my dream that when I started I wanted to sell like I wanted to create something from scratch build a brand and be able to to sell it so I'm so excited that that's happened and it just gives me you know the the opportunity that you know as a stylist and as a business owner you know your skills evolve you evolve and you learn and you grow and it's been an amazing journey because I've worked with some incredible people from sort of you know mums on the school run to you know dads who've just got divorced who need a new look to you know royalty football players you know celebs. what let's go back on to the royalty and celebrities that's exciting yeah, really exciting. Um, so I've done a lot of work with um, the Saudi royal family. So I've flown to Saudi and helped them with their wardrobe. And then also when they come to Dubai, I pick clothes for them and take things to their house and just give them a bit of um, a style makeover every time they, they come into into the city. But that, that's an incredible opportunity and one that um, I'd imagine you were afforded because you, you began this industry in Dubai, it sounds <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, I've I've built on, I think that's something that, again, I feel sort of stands out if you want to be a great stylist or do you want to be a great stylist and a great business owner? Because I think the two go hand in hand. And I, I think that if you really want to have a profitable styling business, you need to run it like a business. So I've, you know, invested a lot of time, not just money and sort of PR. So when you do um, searches online, like my name comes up a lot. So I guess people do their their research now and, and you can see that, you know, there's depth and, and um, experience. A, a, a visible, 
visible presence on um, on Google search. So that's yes, your absolutely. SEO strategy. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And um, that's that's a really good point. I think when you Google a style, like if you if you create a, a local search, um, you know, personal stylist Melbourne or or um, even personal stylist in your local area, the people that are coming up on that first page of Google search results are going to be the ones that most likely get those first phone calls. Absolutely. And and the, the things that they need to think about is, you know, are you on YouTube? Because that really connects well with um, your search engine optimization. So make sure there's, you know, links to, to styling stuff you've done on YouTube. But, you know, getting in press, commenting on things, having your LinkedIn account, you know, whilst they may not necessarily drive business from someone contacts you and then they hire you. But what it does do is it always see it adds credibility and depth behind your brand as to why someone would book you over someone less known, for example. Mm, That's such a good point because I think a lot of stylists spend time initially worrying about client acquisition. How do I reach new clients and how do I get them to book in with me? But that, that buyer cycle, that journey begins with awareness and consideration. And if they're not finding you online, if they're not reading reviews, if they haven't seen you in any editorial, then that's going to make that client acquisition conversion a lot harder, isn't it? Yeah. And and I always ask, you know, when a client works with me and when I say a client, it could be an individual person, but could be a brand. So like I've just had contracts this year with uh, Chanel and Louis Vuitton for uh, training their sales staff, which has been really yeah. like awesome to work on projects like that. And I've said, you know, how did you find out about me? And it's like, oh, well, we were following you a little while on Instagram. And then we saw, read some articles online and then we checked out your website. So there really is that sort of process that it's not a case of, hey, I posted on Instagram today and I got Louis Vuitton as a client. Like it, it's not as direct as that. No, there's a holistic sort of digital um, touch point, I guess, um, yeah. where where you're building your brand online. Uh, that that's um, that's interesting. That brands are now working with stylists to train their existing staff. Do you think that that's a, a, a much more of a possibility for for stylists to find work working with brands more so than direct one on one personal styling clients? Again, I think it's, um, so two points to that. I think it's all part of the journey because I think you need to start at the very beginning. So now I'm in a really confident position to be able to do it because I've been styling clients for more than 15 years. So if I think if someone's just starting out, they need to have that experience of being able to style someone. But absolutely going into sort of, if I was to say the corporate world, Mm. so working with brands, you know, the pay is just so much better as well because you don't need 10 clients at $500 or whatever, because your contract is worth a lot more. So Mm. certainly from a profitable perspective, working with brands makes more sense. But I do think you need to have the leverage from the experience and, you know, that sort of maybe a social media flow. Because there's two different things that I've done with brands. So there's the training part where I've worked with like the personal shopping team or their their sales staff, or I've gone in and done in-store activations where I've I've worked on behalf of the brand, for example, in Banana Republic or Galleries Lafayette, and I've done an educational workshop, but it's been for their customers rather than the staff. So there's two ways that you can do that. And and do you find that the um, the people that attend those um, in-store activations, which a lot of brands will do, um, those women do they eventually then? book a personal styling session or is that really just part of the that that retailer's experience customer experience 
I think in majority, um, it is the, the retail customer experience. But I have booked, and maybe it's sort of, I wouldn't even know what the stats are. I have definitely booked clients from it, but it's not, again, as direct as, oh, I saw you at this event, and then can I hire you? It's like, oh, I've seen you speak a few times, and I'm needing a stylist, and, and taking it from there. But it's a great opportunity from visibility. But I think, you know, it's something that when I'm sort of mentoring the girls on on that they think oh well I'll I'll have an event and I think it's great whether you have one or you do it on behalf of a a brand but you've got to overkill on the numbers like people are like oh well I've had like 20 people confirm and especially if it's a free event I'm like you need 70 people to confirm to get 20 people there so mm. it's just um you know being aware of your numbers in that um event space as well so what are you um what are your plans now that you've sold um Style Me Divine? You've still got the the academy. Yes, yeah. So that's really been sort of my focus, certainly over the past six months, and I'm just going to push that more now. So we've got S Academy, which is our mentoring program. We've got their membership and we have a, a sort of a more advanced elite system where we we work one-on-one or I work one-on-one with those that want to build a business rather than just a hobby. And then we are about to officially launch the digital side. So what I've seen is a lot of stylists kind of struggle with pulling together resources in their business. They might have someone on Upwork and someone on mm-hmm. Fiverr <laughs> trying to do little bits for them. And mm-hmm. I've always found that really frustrating. So now we've got the digital arm to the business where we can help stylists and really lifestyle business owners with their digital requirements of whether that's graphics for social media or if it's a PowerPoint or is it a proposal for working with a brand or is it your deck sheet? You know, things like that that you need. And it just all helps with the you know, boosting your brand and you're looking more professional, you know, it's something that I've always invested in is great collateral because I just think, you know, we're in a business that we don't have a shop, we don't have a front window. So having, you know, great first impressions from the collateral that you use from a, a really nice email signature to, you know, consistent newsletters that are going out or, you know, a text sheet for a brand to read is really important. So that's such a good point. I think stylists, it, it really any business that is interested in um, digital success needs to spend a lot of time on their brand and as an extension, the visual identity of their brand to make sure there's that consistency there and to make sure that you look as professional as possible. A lot of us, well, I say us, I'm not a stylist, but a lot of stylists trying to build up their brand a focus potentially on posting, uh, you know, reposting and and creating things on social media that are not necessarily consistent with their website or their email content. The language that they use is different. So you said that you spent a lot of time on that. Was that very early on in the beginning of your business building? Yeah, and I've always done it. So I think from the very beginning when we used to have more flyers, whereas now it's a bit more sort of digital based, you know, my websites are always sort of updated and moved with the times and you know, just educating and uh, and and learning myself. What what I've, there's sort of two sides to that though when it comes to sort of building a brand. And again, mistakes I've seen that stylists and lifestyle business owners make is that whilst the branding and the consistency of it is really important, I have seen so many people waste time and like spend a year on their logo rather than actually going out and getting a client. So there, there's a really fine line that, you know, get 
some sort of branding that looks really professional, but know that you can always amend and update and evolve with it over the years rather than going, right, this has got to be the one thing that I get right and it's going to be with me forever. You know, my original business when I first started it was divine.ae because that was the local, you know, the local... uh, what do you call it like the bit at the end you know and and I didn't have any sort of style reference into it and then I rebranded maybe five years into business because I was like no style is my focus and and renamed it stylemedivine.com so you mm. keep evolving and learning, but it, but it is really important because you work in style. You know, at the end of the day, if you're a styling business, you, your collateral's got to represent that. And I wouldn't work with people that didn't have nice branding. That sounds really ridiculous, but it's first impressions because I want it to, to be represented in all areas. So you, um, you train women or men and women that would like to be a stylist in the academy and then as they develop their skills or as they progress in business, you offer these different masterclasses or um, sort of um, more exclusive programs. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And I think the focus on it is you can be the best stylist in the whole world with, you know, great styling capabilities. But if you're not marketing your business, then it doesn't matter if you're a great stylist because no one knows about you. So I'm really passionate about the strategy side of coming up with a plan and how you can get your business out there, how to launch it or how to double it or how to grow it even more from the, the business side. And, you know, one question people ask me a lot is, you know, is it possible? to make money as a stylist and the answer is absolutely yes but it comes down to your mindset I mean one your mindset in terms of like how do you perceive it if you perceive it as something that's just going to be a bit of a hobby or a bit of pocket money it's going to be exactly that but the other aspect is you do need to consider where you live so for example if you're maybe somewhere in Australia for example that you're not near a city and Mm. there's not any shops nearby you and there's a very small population then that could be a little bit more challenging but then of course you would then to look at your online platform and what are you doing to build your business in an online capacity are you doing webinars have you got a lead magnet what are you doing to attract people in to, to offer the service so very much making it very clear as to what kind of business that you want to have. Is the end game from a um, client perspective to get them in a one-on-one in a physical store or are you trying to evolve your styling service offering to provide more of a digital virtual experience? So my role now is very much online because those who I'm mentoring are based all over the world. So I've got girls in Milan and Madrid and Australia and America. So for me, because I'm not a stylist really anymore, and especially now I've sold the business, there's mm. very little in in terms of sort of one-on-one styling that I'm doing. I have a couple of clients still. The, the focus of the business is the online mentoring, helping others build their brand and their business whilst working with um, companies and, and uh, doing the training. But from an individual style perspective, I think there definitely needs to be the capabilities of being able to maybe offer both, maybe some kind of online service and an in-person service. But ultimately, it's a personal service. So I do think that you need to be in store in order for a client to get the best results. And I guess it's the same with personal trainers as well. You know, you can do so much online, but when you're in the gym working with a personal trainer, you work a lot harder. Mm, It's true. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, 
regardless of um, of how much pressure brands are under to drive traffic through their physical stores, uh, certainly in Australia there, st- there seems to still be a disconnect between the stores and the relationship with personal stylists. I was chatting with one the other day, uh, a stylist who mentioned that she had done a pre-shop for a client and she had allocated a couple of pieces to be held in in this store and when she brought the client in, the the stock had been put away and the staff weren't particularly receptive and, and, yeah, which kind of, um, which is in conflict with the the targets that the staff have obviously been set, which is, you know, we we need to hit a certain budget. So how how do you see the future of personal stylists and in-store um, experiences panning out as as the pressure to drive sales in physical stores continues? It's a great question as well because, you know, it's the same here. I have to say only recently have more sort of stores and brands reached out to me because retail is in a really tough space just now. Mm. So they're they're trying to look at every opportunity. And it's like, yeah, 10, 15 years ago, you weren't interested in giving me commission or you weren't interested mm. in working with me. Now it's a little bit tough for you. You're coming and you want my client database and you want me to bring people into your store. So it's, I find yeah. it quite frustrating. But there is certainly the demand there. I've also also seen a sort of a rise in working with malls and mall activations rather than just independent stores. Mm. So working with the marketing department of a mall of how to generate uh, or bring people into the mall on a, a, a perspective rather than just an individual shop. I think that's where the opportunities will be um, yeah. because yeah. Uh, bringing, uh, reminding people to come to that physical mecca with with all of the different brands depending on the type of um, customer you are mm-hmm. provides a lot more value and also that personalisation again because I think that regardless of the uh, e-commerce sales, people still want to come in and feel the garments and, and experience the brand. And the styling experience is still unique. Being able to have someone help curate an entire wardrobe or an entire look for you is something that you can't do on your own. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I thought it would be really useful to talk about sort of building a personal brand and some of the aspects and and kind of skills and things that I've done over the past 15 years that I think has really boosted my credibility. Because I think, you know, ultimately it all comes down to credibility. You can be amazing at what you do, but one, if people don't know about you and two, you know, you're not credible or not seen as the expert, then people are not necessarily willing to pay your price. Absolutely. So public speaking has been a huge credibility piece for me in many ways but it's also been another tool for me to pick up clients because I believe the fastest way for you to pick up clients is to speak one-to-many versus one-to-one so even to real-time example in November I did a presentation for 50 women it was actually free and I don't normally do free presentations or you know something that I've not built a client for however depending on who the audience is, I can often upsell to make more than my speaker fee. So in this particular instance in November, I had 50 women and I upsold a special offer to five women and I made two and a half thousand dollars in one evening. So from a financial perspective, it's really good. And I've done a whole webinar on the steps and everything that I've actually, that I actually use to do that. But public speaking is a really big just it's a it's a really big factor in running a business 
And I remember the first time I was actually asked to to do a public speaking um, presentation. And I remember I was was a woman. It was a woman's group, I think. And they had said, "We've asked this." chap come along who owns this property company and then they've asked me and I remember thinking oh wow like this guy's like a you know property billionaire type thing and then they've asked me to come along and I was quite new in my business and I tell you he did his little presentation and then I did mine and I swear like I'm not just saying it but then at the end everyone came up and was like wow that was so interesting it was yeah it was really good and I kind of felt sorry for the property guy yeah a slightly different content. You had the easy job, but but that sort of gig rubbish. You know, it wasn't interactive. It didn't tell stories. You know, so even from a really early aspect, uh, or sorry, of an early part of my um, career, I've realised that you know, educating people with stories and through stories is by far the best way to go around it. So, how would a um, how would a stylist who's just starting out, perhaps they've just finished their course or their qualification, um, they don't necessarily have a, um, I guess, a client database that they can use for testimonials to prove that they are a stylist and 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 worth being invited to to speak publicly. What would your advice be for them on how to get their first gig? Well, I guess there's two ways you could go around it. First of all, you could host your own event. And a lot of people say, well, I don't have an audience. You would be surprised your audience. And sometimes the first event you host, you know, 50% of the room might be friends and family, but it just gives you that first <laughs> 99%, <one>. yeah. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. That, that um, gives you the pictures, you know, so then you can start utilizing that on social media. Um, so that's when the credibility piece sort of comes across as well. So you could look at hosting your own event which is as simple as setting up an event bright page you could make it public make it free you know and there's so many aspects yep. of that yep. as well you know people will be like oh I only want 10 or 15 people to come along and if it's a free event they're like oh well, I've got 20 and the thing is with a free event loads of people don't show up so mm-hmm. it kind of got to weigh all that into it. so hosting your own event is one or go to where your audience is. So, so many people, there's so many organizations that have people within that organization that would want to learn from your skills. So you could give up a, a free hour or something to a woman's group, a mama's group, a um, slimming club. I remember one of the first speaking things I did in a styling perspective was to eight women in a spa. And it was a slimmers group and it was all about what to do now. You're in a new body shape and how to dress. And then the key is at the end is not to just say, so if you want to know more information about me, is that you specifically upsell something that's only available that evening and is an unbeatable sort of offer. That's really, really incredible advice. Our listeners are very lucky because that call to action is the key, uh, certainly in terms of driving revenue and building your clients and building your brand has to start somewhere. So creating that event to get the content to then publish and start building a credibility is probably one of the best first steps you could do. What about getting your first celebrity client? I know a lot of stylists would like to start dressing celebrities. Um, And again, when they're starting out, they don't have a database that they can refer to of clients and testimonials. They don't have a portfolio. So do you have any advice or recommendations for people starting out in that area? Yeah, and celebrities come in all shapes and forms, you know, these days. And 
you could have a celebrity who's an influencer, you know, of, of sorts that's on social media. You could have a celebrity that's maybe not A-list, but is a news reader, for example, or a, a, a news presenter that there's still a celebrity as such, but there's different ways that you could go around it. So a couple of my top tips would be sign up with an agency and maybe start doing shoots because you often meet celebrities when they're doing magazine covers or mm. uh, maybe you could intern at a you know as a fashion assistant at um, a magazine house or something or sign mm. up to an agency that actually does styling gigs so that was where I got my first celebrity client which was Roger Federer and wow. it was very yeah, tightly as the Australian Open comes to a close <laughs> yeah and it was with a bank called Credit Swiss. I think mm-hmm. it was the banking at the time and they were doing some um, TV commercial and he was their ambassador for that year or that season and uh, yeah so he flew to Dubai and I remember I didn't necessarily have to go out and get all the clothes it was very specific because I also think that he has an, an um, agreement or a deal with um, Dolce Gabbana so all his suits were sent from the Dolce Gabbana house and then they were there for me to choose on what he was going to wear for the advert. So it was all very specific rather than go out and be creative. But that was like my first one. And I was so embarrassed. I didn't even ask for a picture to stand next to him. (laughs) (laughs) So Um, so, signing up with an agency, uh, you've said, or um, offering to intern or certainly, I guess, donate your services for free just to gain that experience and be within the environment that you can start to build your network is what you'd suggest. Yeah, absolutely. And then the last bit would be reach out to them directly or reach out to their publicist directly. So sort of, you know, when I've been mentoring a few of the girls, they've gone out to maybe like a top influencer who is maybe in the fashion world, but just doesn't have time to plan all the outfits. And then that can nearly get you more exposure because that's on the social media side that's giving you the exposure. And you could say, you know, one of the things that I've done with a client here who is not a celebrity, but she's super high profile. And I basically have a retainer with her every month. And I have done for the past 10 years. And I go in and style her every week. So I've had a few clients that I've done that with, like I've had a TV presenter where I styled sort of three of her work, you know, three times she was on air and one Mm -hmm. evening event also as part of a retainer. So they're kind of quite good to have as a sort of bread and butter as well. And Mm. look beyond what's just a list, maybe try a a sort of a C or D list that's going Mm -hmm. to be coming up through the ranks and other people that can also put you in touch with sort of celebs would be makeup artists so make sure you've got a couple of really good makeup artists on your side you know excellent excellent advice and lastly you are an author I think you've written two books is that right yeah yes well and and a third that's unpublished and that came about very um how do I say sort of naturally or I didn't ever mean to become an author, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But once I did it, I realized, wow, the credibility piece of being mm-hmm. an author all of a sudden is massive. And interestingly, actually, I looked on LinkedIn. So if you ever go on LinkedIn, you can actually see what your most popular searches are. So what are people searching you for under what key keywords? keywords. Mm-hmm. And, and mine um, last week, it varies. Sometimes it can be entrepreneur and speaker. Sometimes it can be style expert. But last week was author and entrepreneur were my top two search LinkedIn. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So the first book was self-published. 
which actually was self-published, but it was sponsored by a bank. So all the, the costs were taken care of. And the second book was, well, I realized then there's actually zero money in publishing. So the first book <laughs> I wrote was about entrepreneurship because, you know, I'm so passionate about that. Because again, back to the very first thing that I said, you can be an amazing stylist, an amazing business owner. But if no one knows who you are, then mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. You know, so you need to have the business acumen and that just comes with learning and and growing. So the entrepreneurship side to me really fascinated me. So my first book was about entrepreneurs in Dubai and sort of what I'd learned from them because ultimately success is right in front of you. You just need to, you know, take and learn from other people. Mm -hmm. And then the second book was based on on style because then I was like well there's no money in, in, in writing a book. I'm going to just do an ebook. So that was kind of my first steps into I guess the the education the -hmm. educational part of of helping stylists and I sort of took seven or eight questions that I'd been asked on my YouTube platform like 10 years ago or you know this yeah this would be about 10 years ago eight or 10 questions and then sort of created that into a book and a sort of system and a formula and then that became my first ever ebook which followed into online course which then followed into an offline course and it's just sort of developed from there really. And I guess the benefit of being an author as well is that there's a lot of micro content that you can create from the book, but you also build your authority in the space. Absolutely. And and I think the days of sort of charging, you know, because I remember at one point it was like you could charge $25, $30 for an ebook. But I think those days now of even like having a super expensive book that's even an ebook is not around, but just having a book that you can publish on Amazon and say you're an Amazon author. Mm -hmm. is way easier than you think, honestly. Well, that's all from us today. Thank you so much for listening. If you've got any topics that you would like us to cover in future episodes uh, or any guests that you'd love to hear from, or if you have any further questions for the guests themselves, you can send them all through to us on Facebook or Instagram via The Styling Advisory, or you can email us at info at stylingadvisory.com.au. And to learn more about our marketing and business planning programs that we run to help you turn your styling dream into an empire, head to our website, www.stylingadvisory.com.au.